Hello and welcome to another episode of the Jonesing for Sports podcast. We have a truly special episode for you guys. Three big reasons why it's special. One, we are talking about, should I even start by saying the game that feels like it's the most important thing here? But there's so many important things about this pod. We have a precursor to the game between Michigan and Ohio State. The World Cup is also rapidly approaching. But last and certainly not least, we got Tool Time Thomas here on the pod with us to help us break it down. So let's go ahead, get on into the nitty gritty and uh, get into that sweet, sweet action. Especially equipped for this pod. One, because he is a villainous fan of Ohio State. And two, because Brandon's been getting too much love on the pod lately. And so uh, we need somebody to tear him down real quick. Is Brandon getting too much love? No, not at all. Not at all. That was heavy in the sarcasm. But the second part is Tool tool Time was a uh, all-district or district coach of the year uh, in high school soccer over in Ohio this year. Congrats on that, Tool Time. Appreciate that. It was a pretty cool season this past year. We've uh, we've had two two of the best back-to-back seasons at that school's history already. Um, there was one senior class like eight years ago that you could say has the best, and so we're trying to build to it, but um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun this year. All right, now back to Brandon getting hate. Uh- <laughs> Love me that. <laughs> If you're not part of our Discord, uh, definitely join because, one, Brandon silences Tool Time on there maybe every day on average. Um, And it's one of the best parts. It's just (laughs) very fun. But also, Brandon has been getting just heat on the Discord. I actually have been agreeing mostly with your, I mean, except for our big debate. From the shadows. Dude, (laughs) you got to get off. I was on your side today. Keep, keep saying from the shadows, and I'm going to stop defending you, and I'm going to jump on hardcore on the other side. So appreciate it. I know it. you will. Appreciate it. I'm uh, sorry. I, just, I don't think saying that Blake Corum won't win the Heisman if he loses to Ohio State is like a huge uh, statement in in my on my behalf. So sorry <laughs> if I'm not throwing you roses. Um, by the way, before we get started, is there a way for me to – mute cody thomas if uh <laughs> if need be because uh this is a little different than the discord and i i feel a little bit naked without that ability at my fingertips yeah i'm clearly just running wild at the moment so <laughs> here he goes I, I think you're just i think you're just gonna have to live with it this time bran oh well your boys are at smu are looking uh real fine right now trevi yeah if you're in our uh pick'em league as well I picked SMU to cover against Tulane, uh, three and a half points. They're, they're down 28-7 right now, so that's looking real real sharp. <laughs> but uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about two of the biggest events of the year, one where obviously we are pumped to talk about on this pod, the game. And uh, it feels a little dirty bringing Tool Time on here talking about the game when 
he's on that the evil dark side but you know uh we like to <laughs> we like to have some some good Barf. takes from both sides uh and then also the world cup uh i think you'll hear from tool time that he might even be even more excited about that and it feels wrong for me to say that but the world cup is so dope brandon just this week when we were talking about doing this pod he said he's here for the vibes the vibes for the world cup are off the charts so what do we want to talk about first fellas Blew up to the guest. Who? I mean, my what I definitely want to talk about first is the World Cup. However, unlike Brandon, I am definitely trying to think about the viewers who constantly tune in. And I know more people are tuning in for the game over the World Cup. So my vote would actually be, let's start with that. Because I like to be the voice of the people, not the one that silences the people. <laughs> <laughs> and it has begun. Oh, great idea already. I love this. <laughs> yeah, let's get into the game. Uh, Brandon, take us away. Let's get us started there in, in the game. Uh, so this is going to be a little bit hard for us, but what we're going to do is we're going to have the Michigan boys, maybe the Joneses, we're going to kind of lay out some three reasons why Ohio State uh, would win the game, which is painful, but we're, it's kind of like a, you know, like a, how does the enemy perceive you? Because Cody, I'm sorry, Tool Time is going to do the same for Michigan. So we're, we'll kind of get a peek behind the curtain. How does Ohio State really view the Michigan Wolverines? And of course, I think most of our, our listeners are coming from the Michigan perspective, have a pretty good feel on, on what Ohio state is as a team. So uh, we'll let Cody start with the three reasons why Michigan is going to win the game. And I'll really enjoy hearing this. And then uh, Cody, Travis, and myself will share each one reason why Ohio state would win. So I'll start with the easy one. I mean, the first one I have is winning the trenches. Um, I mean, we've, we've seen how last year that played out major dividends for for Michigan. I mean, that's what led that game to be a domination. I mean, as an Ohio State fan, we're kind of lucky that game was a 15-point score um, at the end of the day. I think if Michigan controls the trenches on both sides in which they continue to open up holes for Blake Corm, and the reason why that horrifies me, if all the holes are opening up for Corum, over half his yards this year, if I'm not mistaken, are after contact. And so if his contact is coming seven, eight yards through that, and he's getting more yards after contact, like that that makes me want to poop my pants um, just thinking about that. Because what that does is it just it wears down a team. It completely destroys the clock. It limits the amount of possessions that Ohio State has. Um, and that's just that's an easy way to take away the strengths of what OSU can do. Um, and the other thing, too, in winning in the trenches is, is in defense is is knowing that you're likely not going to get to C.J. Stroud every single time. But like last year, can you get to him when it matters? Can you force punts? Can you force field goals like in the first half last year? Two forced field goals. First possession of halftime afterwards, uh, Michigan forced a three and out right out the gate. Is in the trenches at those key moments. Can they get in? And can they cause Ohio State to get off the field? Because if Northwestern can cause Ohio State to need to punt, I'm kind of confident that Michigan can cause Ohio State to need to punt. 
Um, so first things first right there, just the trenches, because I think overall Michigan does have more talent. I think they've got more NFL guys combined on both sides of the ball um, that the trenches would give through for that. My second thing is it's so funny. I've actually had this point written down for like three weeks now. And freaking Joel Klatt stole my point, or stole my point uh, that I wanted to bring up. I thought I was a genius for this, and then he decided to say it on Colin Coward, so that ruined it for me. Um, but this whole idea that Ohio State potentially has a higher ceiling, but Michigan definitely has a higher floor. Michigan definitely makes a lot less mistakes, and the games that you would call Michigan's worst games of the year – they clearly still have looked like the dominant team. The best example is probably the Indiana game, even though I think the final score was 31 to 10. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, the first half didn't go exactly to plan, but Mike Hart also had an episode on the sideline. Um, and then Michigan still cruised. While when you look at Ohio State, there's been games like Northwestern, who has yet to win inside the territory of the United States this year. Um, Ohio State struggled the entire game. And sure, there was the weather problems that you could say with throwing, but it doesn't affect the ability to just manhandle a team, nor also when we knew Northwestern had to run the ball, they changed quarterbacks because they needed to run the ball, and they still couldn't stop them. I think, I think Ohio State has this ability to just seriously drop their floor so low, so low, while I think one of the things that Harbaugh has really instilled in Michigan is a strong identity that has a high floor. So even if it's not the flashing throwing offense that everyone was hoping for, I mean, Michigan doesn't drop down below a certain standard. And um, whether it's just weather or intensity or whatever it's going on, I think Michigan is the one that will overcome maybe turnovers. They're the ones that will better overcome nervousness or nervous plays. I think they're the ones that will keep the standard and force OSU to be at another part. And ironically, as I just finished up the podcast from last time, um, my third point is a JJ coming out party. Um, is that this is the time where all of a sudden JJ McCarthy gets unleashed because as much as you want to say, are the wide receivers doing this? Is the coaching doing that? Is it that, um, you know, to be OSU, at some degree, there has to be a threat of the past. In, in 2000, or last year, there was just enough threat of the past. You can look at four key plays that happened through the passing game, but, you know, we know we know J.J. is better. Um, and this could be the game. The threat of Quorum's got Ohio State sucked up big that all of a sudden there's huge pockets. Look at that Penn State game. I mean, Sean Clifford had lots of pockets to find Parker Washington and Tinsley. And it wasn't like... He was having to throw these crazy contested passes like Washington was open. Tinsley was open. The tight ends were open. Like Ohio State does leave gaps between their linebackers and their safeties where a quarterback who is competent enough to just put it within a box that a receiver can get their hands on the ball, there's a great opportunity. And if Corum is starting to work and the O-lines turn around, the play-action pass could be so deadly for Michigan in that game. It could be so deadly. It's what could constantly create anywhere from eight to 15 yard passes over and over and over again, becoming routine. And then all of a sudden when that hits, maybe all of a sudden you strike on one of those, maybe one or two big plays down the field. One that just really moves field position. One of them that goes for a score. Uh, I do think this is a prime opportunity for 
for JJ, the, the, the prized recruit, the savior, the Messiah of Michigan passing. Um, this could be this could be the moment where he finally does um, come out from the shell and he really breaks free into what people thought he could be. So before the Joneses cover Ohio State winning, do you guys have anything that you would add on being more from the Michigan bent? Why you think Michigan maybe has that that opportunity to break through? Yeah, I I maybe would have touched base on Donovan Edwards in the passing game. Uh, maybe in, instead of J.J. Uh, if J.J. breaks out in that game, I think Michigan has a really good chance of winning because that's kind of been the missing link all year. Michigan's been pretty dominant in a lot of facets except for the pass game. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if he breaks out this game, it could be a good game for Michigan. So I like and that I'd agree point. about Edwards too. I think um I think for him to break out, I think Edwards is key because Edwards is what could open up those spaces even more. When linebackers and people got to creep up and take care of Edwards, that's when you know Schoonmaker, if he's healthy, can open up a little more. Um, if I was Michigan, I'd be playing Ronnie Bell in the slot because that's where the gaps are. They're in the middle. Just let Ronnie Bell find the space and get his hands on the ball. Uh maybe one other thing I would maybe add is uh, not really a statistical thing, but maybe just a psychological thing is Michigan finally beat Ohio State and they went mm. to the playoff and now they're actually undefeated this year. Psychologically, this team knows that they it, it's not like you're punching up as much as the last like 10 years of this rivalry. It m- more so feels like they're punching across and it's a doable battle. And psychologically, that could be good. Um, or it could be bad. Or it could be bad. I'm hopeful it's good, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. I don't really get the feeling that that's the mentality that Jim takes to this, though. Oh no! Uh, I mean, you definitely get the feeling that his eyes have been set on this game from the beginning of the season. I mean, you see him trying to hide the playbook, trying to make sure nobody knows that we secretly run the play action, <laughs> and uh, that Donovan Edwards <laughs> is a good football player. <laughs> you know, he's uh he is not forgotten just how difficult it is to beat Ohio State and how difficult it has been um over the past decade. This is not a game that you can look at as 50-50 or really punching across. You have to treat it as though this is going to be the toughest thing you could possibly ever do um regardless of last year's success. And I think that's the way Jim's treating it, but it could be it could be interesting to see how those players in the locker room um, if they have that same mentality, I would expect that the coaches are trying to drill the importance of it into them so that they keep that same um, underdog chip on the shoulder mentality. But who knows? That's a, that's an interesting thing to talk about. It could be a little bit different in that locker room after winning last year. So Cody just said it. Jim has been hiding the playbook. <laughs> I actually do think we're going to see some pretty nifty play calls in this game. Uh, we've spent the entire season pulling our hair out as we do three straight runs right up the middle and uh, the play action, which we all want more of uh, statistically JJ is actually the best quarterback in play action situations in the country. Uh, So I think we're going to see a lot more play action pass, especially on first down. Just like the Penn state game, some tendencies will be broken and the play calling will be a little bit more, like we had hoped it had been would have been the rest of the season is basically what I'm trying to say. So I think we're going to see some pretty nifty play calls and that could be a, a big difference. Just like how Penn state 
we blew Penn State out because they took them seriously and they actually called plays that they hadn't called previous to that game. So that's a big one. Uh, Trav or Cody, do you guys want to tell us what you're worried about? Why Penn State or Penn State? Why Ohio State could uh, could take this game? I go. Sure. Uh, reason number one from me is that it is extremely hard to come into the horseshoe and win a game. Uh, I believe Ohio State has only lost three times at home in the last like ten years, um, and that seems high. Is it four now? I think it's four. Four in the last ten years. Where I mean, my word, that's that's a tough place to come in and play, especially with a team that's probably going to be undefeated. I mean, they got Maryland this week. They're going to be undefeated uh, that last week of the season, and. That crowd in Columbus is going to be ruckus. It's going to be hard to play there. Um, a lot of people kind of naysay on some of the atmospheres of the Big Ten. That's ridiculous. That atmosphere is going to be bonkers. Um, that's going to be hard for Michigan. And <clears throat> there's going to be a lot of statistical points you can make for why Ohio State could have the, the edge here. But even if it's apples to apples and Michigan's playing great, that atmosphere gives Ohio State some edges and spots that it's going to be hard. So there might be some false starts. There might be some delay of games uh, that are really going to be momentum swingers. We've seen that already in Michigan season this year, times where they were driving the ball. I forget who it was against, maybe maybe in the Iowa game, uh, where they were driving the ball down the field, and then they had a just a stupid penalty that pushed them back, and they couldn't get the first down, had to punt it away. Uh, I, I see that maybe happening a few times in this game with the crowd noise. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's my big reason. I think maybe the biggest reason why this game could very possibly be different from the game between the two teams that transpired last year is that this seems to be a much more um, structurally sound defense from Ohio State than what we saw last year. Um you know, last year you had one of the worst defenses in the Big Ten in Ohio State. Now you've got a top 10 defense in the nation in terms of um, yards per game allowed. That's a huge, huge defense or a defensive change. Um, and so, I, you know, both teams scored a fair amount of points last game or last season, rather. I don't think it's going to be near as easy for Michigan to get those yards this year. Um, and I... Michigan, as much as I believe that they're still going to try and open up the playbook, they're still going to try and win their way. They're going to try and win through the trenches. I think they have a good chance to um, do a good job of establishing a powerful run game through the trenches. But do I believe that they're going to be able to gash Ohio State to the tune of like five rushing touchdowns? No, I don't think that's going to be a repeat performance. I don't think that this is going to be a J.J. McCarthy coming out party to be able to um, have your your coming out performance in the shoe in such a hostile environment in the biggest game of the year i i don't think i think we've seen uh at the start of the season that he has raw potential but he has not shown the development that we need to see from him this year to show that he really has what he what it takes to put this game on his shoulders if we're going to win it's going to be through blake quorum and ohio state knows that they're going to be selling out to stop the run and they're going to be much more apt to be able to do that this year than they were last year um, on account of just being so much more efficient at limiting offenses, limiting the the run game, even just their third down conversion rate. 
um, is markedly improved. I think teams are only converting about 25% on uh, third downs against them over the entire year. Uh, it's just so significantly better. I don't think we're going to see, him the, sa see the same uh, Michigan dominance on offense as we saw last season. Yeah, that's a good point, Code. If Ohio State is run-focused defensively, uh, that should open up pathways for J.J. to make plays. But that's something he hasn't been able to do yet this year. If he's able to do that as a point to what Cody Thomas tool time said, then it's Michigan has a good chance, but it's something we haven't seen yet. Yeah. And if you're OSU, I say you stack the box and you dare JJ to throw it over you uh, because you haven't seen it yet this year. And what better place to try and get him to try and do that. If you're OSU in the shoe, in that type of environment, and you may have to adjust if he looks like he can acclimate to the pressure so far, even as a Michigan fan, I'm not sure I can say confidently that he'll be able to. All right. Um, I kind of have two. I might just say both of them, if you guys don't mind. Mm. Um, I know. I, I thought that one of them would get taken. Brandon's uh, thoughts were, we're covering why Mich Ohio State's going to beat Michigan. I might as well say two things to get the Discord doubly mad at me when this is all said and done. That's right. <laughs> I'm providing pure entertainment value for you guys. Uh, so, number one, I think Ohio State wins this game if they dictate the pace of play. If Ohio State is able to get out to a lead and maybe even like a multi-score lead where Michigan is off schedule, that is horrendous for Michigan's chances because Michigan is not built to come from behind. If Michigan dictates the pace of play, I, I really like their chances quite a bit. But as we saw last year when Ohio State played Michigan State, that quick attack passing game, you know, you get a long bomb to one of their stud receivers and you get one stop on defense, another touchdown. It's almost at that point, it feels like game over to me. So you cannot get behind if you're Michigan. If Ohio State does get ahead, they, uh, they're really setting themselves up well. The other thing is, uh, Cody, did you say – I'm sorry, I keep saying Cody. Uh, tool time. <laughs> did you say that you feel like which team had the more talent? Because I didn't understand you earlier. So when I was talking about the trenches, I said I felt Michigan had more NFL talent combined in the trenches gotcha. on both sides of the field. Okay. Um, I would agree with you on in the trenches, but I think if you just take the, the skill positions especially um, – but maybe just the whole the team versus team. I think Michigan has more NFL like mid round to late round type guys, and OSU has got the the first day type prospects. Where that's where I could see an edge for Ohio State if those stars, the guys that are going to go on the first day of the NFL draft, have a day. If your CJ Stroud is on fire, Marvin Harrison, who in my opinion is the best wide receiver in college football. If those guys are beating you, it's going to be a, a long day at the office for the Michigan defense. Um, and obviously, there are some studs on defense, too. Uh, JT at the defensive end is – we saw what he did in the Penn State game, one of the best defensive games I've watched. Um, and, you know, there's other guys like that. So that's the other path is if the stars for Ohio State show out, it it could be could be rough sledding. So but that's what I got. Um, do you guys, or Cody, did you have anything you would add to that before we get to our predictions? Uh, which Cody? 
Darn it. <laughs> Tool time. There you go. Um, I, th I think the one thing you could add, and this is a little bit of a wild card, but to me, I've got this written down as like, this would be a game wrecker. Um, I've got one for each team, but for Ohio State, I think the game record would be if they find a way to get their running game going. Um, I 100% believe that Blake Corum is the best running back in this game, no doubt in my mind. But I do also think that, when, especially when healthy, that Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams are both talented running backs as well. Um, and I think, if, I think if Ohio State really finds a way to get their running game rolling where when – Ohio State has the opportunity to use play action as well, which obviously can be really deadly. If you have to be careful about Williams running over people or Henderson getting loose on the outside, that can just leave even more open for, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka. Um, I, I also think Kate Stover is a player that's kind of on the rise. And when you have a tight end, I really think that can – I think that's what allows you to spread out even more. I think that's what allows us to keep Ibuka and Harrison – on the outside when you got a tight end like Kate Stover, who's just like an absolute hoss. He's just that guy that you, he catches the ball and you just ask him to run over three or four people um, and go right after him. But I think, I think that OSU running game, if they find a way to get going, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's going to be like 280 yards, but I mean, if Henderson and Williams combined were able to get 180 yards, I think that would be, I think that'd be a really, really big impact on this game and on the way it would move. Brandon brought up uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. being the best receiver in the country. And I I was pretty much there. And then that catch he had last week against IU, where the catch itself was pretty normal, but the body control, I think Cody and I were watching the game together, and he kept his foot in bounds. That was maybe the best <laughs> body control on a catch I've ever seen in my life. And the, the pick... way his knee, the way his knee turned when that happened at first, I thought we lost him. I like had a mini heart attack. It was like a contortionist act. It was wild. Yeah, it was because it was. like when you see it in slow motion, to me that was like that's how people like sprain their MCLs or worse, like <laughs> with the way his knee. But for him, like yeah, it's just I don't know if that's genetics or what it is, but I mean that was just his entire body is like horizontal oh, and the and picture then his foot is just firmly planted on the ground. Yeah. That picture <laughs> is just absolutely bonkers. There's a picture from behind that shows his butts almost on the ground and <laughs> his just one foot is the only thing touching the ground off to the right of his whole body. Uh, and I remember the video, it looks bonkers. like his left foot is what he's trying to get in bounce too. <laughs> like when he starts, it looks like he's left and somehow in real time, he decided nope and just switched it. And yeah. realized that he had to he had to get it in. Yeah, he's just he he's he's just a freak. Um, but when I saw that photo, I thought that must have been the defender's foot because it's there's no possible way that that could have belonged to the guy catching the ball. So, yeah, I've got the stupid. picture pulled up. It's just done talking it's about stupid. Marvin Harrison. Yeah, uh, he's another one that can't go to the NFL draft. There's no reason he has to come back next year. No reason. Get him out of here. Yeah, go play in <laughs> uh, the old NFL Europe or something. <laughs> Get out. Get out. Go to that's funny. Canadian League. If you guys, if you guys have it done with if you guys have it done with the three reasons, I actually have one concept of the game that I think is going to be the most important thing that determines the winner. If you don't mind me presenting it to you and getting your guys' thoughts on this. 
would love it. So it. this is gonna sound a little this is gonna sound a little crazy at first, but I'm gonna kind of compare this to a presidential election. Um, and the idea is when we're voting for our president is it's the path to get a certain number of electoral votes. For some reason in my mind, I'm blanking on how many someone needs to win the presidency, what that number is. Um, like 11. It's, it's 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 not eleven. It's somewhere around two hundred. <laughs> yeah, it's somewhere around two hundred, right? Yeah, I thought it was like two forty three. <laughs> yeah. Is it is it around two forty? Uh, I can't but remember. I remember but yeah. What, whatever it, it is, and they, and they always they always talk about it. They're like, what's the most likely path a candidate gets to the number of electoral votes? And when things don't even start going the way they want to, it's okay. Well, there's still this path. There's still this path. There's still this path. I'm going to present the idea that the winner of this game is the one who can get to 500 total yards. Trent looked it up. It is actually at... 12 electoral uh, college votes. I was off by one. Yeah, it's 270. So embarrassing. <laughs> 270, is it? Yeah. Okay. I appreciate Brandon's IQ on a daily basis. Um, <laughs> anyways. Like I said, I'm going to present the idea of the winner, the one who can get to 500 total yards, or at least closest to it, is going to be the winner. Um, in the last three games, going back to 2018, the team that had the most total yards was the one that won it. 2018, OSU had 573. 2019, OSU had 577. And then 2021, Michigan had 487. Um, and here's the thing. The, the, the yard different wasn't that far off. Um, I think I think 2019 was the biggest disparity um, between total yards at the end of the day. But I know 2021 was with uh, was with was within 100 total yards, and 2018 was within 100 total yards as well. Um, but I think it's this really interesting concept of this team that can get to 500 total yards wins. Because if you know, let's let's say Michigan's running running game comes out crazy and goes for 275, 280. You know, then you're just you're just asking JJ to manage his way to 220 yards. And you've seen games this year. What what game was it? Was it was it Iowa where he just managed his way to 300 yards throughout the game? Was it the Iowa game or who do you have 300 yards against? Really it was the year? Indiana game. Was it Indiana? Yeah, I think so. And like I said, he just he just simply managed his way to it. You know, he did he didn't have to do that. But the question is, like for Ohio State, is you know, could you could you find a way to hold Michigan to under 200? rushing yards in the game could you find a way to make michigan have to pass for 250 plus in order to win and then it's kind of the reverse on the other side you know as teams have shown you can hold stroud to lower numbers like could michigan find a way to hold stroud to the 220 to 260 range and you're asking ohio state's running game like hey you guys got to come up with 200 240 yards to really, really compete in this game, or maybe even more. So I'm just curious your guys' opinion on just that whole concept and which team do you think has more paths or more opportunities to get to that idea of that, you know, getting 500 yards could more than likely decide who wins this game? Well, that scares me a bit because I think Ohio State has more paths or an easier route to that. Because I, th I think there's even last year, uh, Stroud had what he did he have three hundred 
yards passing? It was, was three ninety something. <laughs> yep, three ninety four. That's what I was looking for. Three ninety four in a State, loss. Ohio State had sixty rushing yards. That's almost your five hundred. Um, that's what I'm saying. But, but they were able to keep it down. They, 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 Michigan found the way to contain the running game, and so it didn't matter that Stroud went and had three ninety four. The fact that they played within that and completely took out OSU's running game, like. Like Stroud had to throw for 460 yards in order for Ohio State to be within a score. Yeah, I I kind of like that. Um, I don't know if if I'm all in on 500 yards and you, you win. Um, it, it's very it's very hypothetical. We, oh, we know oh, yeah. that's not the actual. <laughs> um, but like I said, the trends. If you look at the last three games, when you know, especially when Michigan is you know was a top 10 team or at least a top 15 team in all those matchups. And Ohio State was a top 10 or top 15 in all those matchups too. There is a little bit of that trend as the gap has narrowed and the talent level has been equal in these games. I think my biggest one is whichever defense bends but doesn't break. Uh, that's kind of what Michigan did last year where Ohio State got stats. They had some big passing plays. Like you said, they didn't rush for much but they their stars got the stats that they're used to and usually that means a win for Ohio State but Michigan's defense didn't break necessarily uh they they definitely bent and gave up some big stats uh I think that might be the key to this game uh cuz I don't know if Michigan's going to be able to keep Marvin Harrison from getting his yards um and everyone else honestly in that receiving game but if they can not break, uh, red zone defense might be huge. I actually think red zone defense is going to be a huge key for Ohio State, but the long ball is going to be a big key for Michigan, like stopping it defensively. And that's probably what scares me most about the game is that Michigan's red zone efficiency has been so horrendous um, throughout this season. Hopefully we can open up with playbook and a little bit more creativity. But, I mean, if bashing the ball up the middle four times straight isn't working against middling Big Ten teams. I don't expect it's going to work super well against Ohio State. I think uh, it's been very clear that not having Eric All has uh, hurt us quite a bit in that regard. You're going to have to get a lot more creative. You're going to have to uh, script some real magic for Blake Corum um, and hope that JJ can come in clutch. But again, I keep saying it, but it's really tough to expect your players to just show up and deliver in the hardest environment possible when they have it up to this point in the season. Field goals continually in the red zone are not going to beat Ohio State. And Ohio State, I don't believe, is going to be content with settling for field goals against Michigan. Uh, and so you're going to be very fortunate if you can have a repeat performance of last year where you're keeping them out of the end zone um, at times where it, think, where it looked like it was all but certain that they would score. I like your point there, Trav. Whoever can have the greater red zone efficiency is going to have a huge advantage in the game. And honestly, I think that's something that really favors the Buckeyes. I think... Uh... What I said with the key for the Buckeyes was to control the pace of play. So for Ohio State, they want to have a high-powered um, run lots of plays, reach 500 yards. Michigan really doesn't need to reach 500 yards. As as Cody, as Tool Time pointed out, they didn't reach 500 yards in, in the win, yet they averaged eight yards per play. So I I think – it would be a key if Ohio state reaches 500 yards. I think it's, you know, it's game over. I think Michigan really has to reach like 400. I think it's just different game scripts for each, each uh, team there. So 
yeah, I think a lot of good points, and that's something we'll watch. Is if if Ohio State is carving up the the defense to the tune of 500 yards, I think we can we can definitely see how that game's going to play out. And the same thing for Michigan. I think if they're getting their yards, even if it's going to be slower, more methodical, and I think their game plan is probably going to be keep C.J. Stroud on the sideline. Let's have a let's have a 10 minute drive. Let's let's get them warming up the bus because this game's going to be over in two and a half hours because we're just going to run 15 play drives. So. It, yeah, we'll see who's, uh, whose game script wins out. No way the game's over in two hours if it's on Fox. <laughs> it's Fox, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it can be the fastest tempoed game ever with just 10-minute drive after 10-minute drive, and it's still going to be a three-and-a-half-hour game. There will be more commercial break time than gameplay. That's ridiculous. So who wants mm. to give their prediction first? <laughs> uh, sure, I'll jump in there. Um, I want to preface this prediction. I'll just give it and then I'll tell, uh, defend myself. Uh, I'm going to go 42, 27 Ohio state. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why would you pick that number? <laughs> <laughs> so here's the reason. Freaking dummy. Why would you pick no, it, the, the two teams are very good. I think playing in Ohio State is going to be a huge, huge difference maker. We've already had a redemption of trouble with the with the snap, and I feel like I I'm just scared about this game. But uh, so that's my prediction, and I, I will cry if that if I'm right. If 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 that's the score, and they get to hang hang that, I'm gonna I might actually shed tears. Um, if that happens, but I, I want to preface or not preface. No, it's prefix. Uh, just because I think that Ohio state is going to win does not mean Jaron that I'm cheering against Michigan does not mean that I am full bore. And I, I actually think Michigan has a great chance in this game. Michigan is like very good, but last year, Ohio state had a great chance. Uh, Michigan was not favored last year. This is, these are both very good teams. The home field advantage is going to be big. Uh, I do think what we were talking about earlier is where Cody said, is that going to be good with Michigan feeling like they can win this game now? Uh, I don't think Harbaugh runs his team like that. They'll be prepared, but uh, there's a chip on the shoulder of the Buckeyes wanting to take, retake this. And I also... They're going to hang 200 on them. I've been... I've had so many... like. The saying is, we can't have nice things. I'm still new to this. I'm still new to having a team that's good, and I feel like it's still not like allowed to me. I feel like it's going to go away sometime. And so maybe this is just me, like, hurt people hurt people. And I feel like this is my prediction of hurting, hurting being a hurt person in the past. You guys, do you guys hear that? Is it the world's Least small? favorite Jones. Least favorite Jones. <laughs> Come on, everybody. Least favorite Jones. Least favorite Jones. <laughs> the mighty have fallen. Picking the score from last year reversed is like sicko times sicko <laughs> divided by infinity times sicko. That is just gross, Trav. Yeah, I know it's gross. Take a shower. I want to take a shower. I know it's gross. I know I'm going to get just blasted for it, but I just... I'm so scared. I'm just scared, you guys. 
We'll watch the game. We'll hold you. I, I need someone to hold me during Saturday when the game comes. So please. I mean, I, I'm falling kind of along that same line of thinking. Uh, not to the uh, to the length that I'm going to pick the inverse of last year's score. Guys, just like I'm saying, <laughs> like a monster. <laughs> what Apparently is the worst not. possible outcome? That yes. <laughs> Um, I is I, that a worse outcome than getting blown out? I would I say yes. <laughs> yeah, it's quite possibly. You'd rather lose by fifty than lose to that scoreline. The the amount of ammo Maybe. that I, would give I said possibly. Ohio State fans. <laughs> it would be. We we have been posting that score for the past year, just incessantly, and so to have it evaporate and thrown right back on our face would would be just a cruel trick it would be See, that's so funny for so me cool. i haven't really thought about it in terms of the score i've just thought of more in terms of the fact that like like we just got clearly beat like there wasn't like a gimmick thing there wasn't like a, a funky call or there wasn't one thing or the other like it was just it was just a straight up beating like it sucked like it sucked i haven't really thought about it in terms of the score because that game feels like it was farther apart than what the score was so i guess for me i haven't really thought about the score i've just been wondering how did we just get completely manhandled like that code well <laughs> that score itself is all michigan fans have had to hang on to um for you know the first thing michigan's fans have had to be able to hang on to in 10 years people have that tattooed so, on their body right um <laughs> that is like that is their idol is that score so that would just uh That'd be rough having it stripped away in a, in a fashion such as that. I'm not sure I'd necessarily rather get absolutely. Uh, uh, well, I'm not sure I would rather get blown out, but who knows? Uh, I, like I said, I'm th following Travis's line of thinking a little bit in that well, bad things happen when I bet on my teams. Um, you know, my uh, team that was really big on at the start of the year, Nebraska. Uh, we don't talk about them anymore, although. They're not too far off. No, no, we're not going to talk about Nebraska. Um, but I'm going with uh, Ohio State 38 over Michigan's 30. Um, I, I I think that it's going to be a close one. But as I said, end zone, red zone efficiency is going to bite Michigan in the butt down the stretch. Ohio State's going to keep scoring. They're just going to not be able to keep up with the offensive firepower. Um, I don't have too much to say. I feel like we've covered the topic pretty well. But I... I will say that I feel so much more hopeful going into this matchup. Last year, I was such a doomer. You could hate on me if you wanted to because I gave up the faith. You know, we had a really good season going, and the prospect of going to the Big Ten Championship if you beat Ohio State, I had already given up on the season because I had seen what I needed to see from Jim. Vanilla Jim is just going to try and be bigger and stronger and run it through the teeth of Ohio, and it hasn't worked for the past seven years. And then he actually did it, and that's the some that's the thing that gives me hope for this uh, for this matchup is that people keep saying Michigan can't throw the ball. Well, they couldn't really throw the ball last year, and it still worked out really well for them. I wouldn't say that I have confidence going up against a Georgia. I still don't have confidence going against Ohio State, but I have hope this time. But I am uh, I am scared to give too much credence to that hope. I still want to guard my heart a little bit. And this Ohio State team is very, very talented. Um, trying to get that win in the shoe, it's going to be tough. Um, so I'm going 38-30. Travis, I'm sorry I called you a freaking dummy 
That was completely involuntary. <laughs> was it? Because <laughs> involuntary. That was an involuntary reaction to you getting giving the inverse score from last year. This came out. It. I feel so dirty. I feel dirty doing it. Just so you know. What'd you say the whole time? I said that you've just shown your true colors, man. That hey, I'm Darth Slothy for a reason. Call people freaking dummy like a monster. Uh, tool time. What's your prediction? Um. So yeah. So we'll see what Brandon does, but I will be the first person to pick their team. Um. I am picking Ohio State. The reason for that is um. This year it has just really proven that how tough it is to win on the road. Um. I mean, there's only one top ten team right now that currently has a home loss, and that's LSU when they got smacked by Tennessee. Um, everyone else has taken their L's on the road. Um, before this past weekend, um, I know it changed a little bit this past weekend, but before this past weekend, I think the only team that won on the road in a top 15 matchup was Ohio State at Penn State. Um, but, you know, that's that game. I mean, Penn State played really, really well, but that's not like that's not like LSU playing Bama or anything like that. Um, and so that that is why I do think Ohio State will win. It's just it's just so tough. It's been it's been proven everywhere across the whole country. The score that I have is thirty eight to thirty three. Um, that's the final score that I have. The way I got there is I kind of went through the whole game how I think it's going to go. Um, I do think Ohio State's going to start with the ball. I think they're going to start hot. Um, I've got them up twenty four to ten at halftime because I'm going to say they start the game with the opening touchdown and then. They end the first half within the last 30 seconds, find a way to get another touchdown. It puts them up 24 to 10. I do think Michigan finds a way to adjust and they find the way to get the offense going. I think JJ will do some decent, some pretty good things in the game. But at the end of the day, for Michigan's offense to be consistent, it will require running the ball with Corm and with Edwards. And at some point, that's just going to cause the clock to go. And I've got Ohio State just being able to pick up two second half touchdowns. Um, with with about a minute left in the game, it's 38-27. Michigan finds a way to get a touchdown. They failed a two-point conversion based on their red zone woes so far. Um, and then with about 30, 40 seconds left, they try the onside kick, unsuccessful, and Ohio State pulls out a five-point victory. So uh, I know that everyone has picked Ohio State so far, but what I will say I like about these predictions, except for – Travis's is <laughs> it's not a shot Trav I, I like that you guys are predicting a a battle like Cody just said 38 33 like that number in my head just screams like that is a classic enjoyable game like I'm sure I'm gonna be my heart's gonna be pounding on my chest but man that sounds like an awesome game I think Cody's was in that same ballpark as well so yeah, it's one less field um, goal I'm just so happy we're at this point, maybe I'm jinxing us, but I'm just glad I, I do believe this is going to be an absolute slugfest and we're not going to get blown out like we had been uh, that like 63 to 39 like it was uh, or even the year after that. So uh, my prediction, uh, Travis had pointed out a reason Ohio State would win is the the home atmosphere. And that's probably my biggest concern as well. And Cody uh, Tool Time pointed that out as a reason Ohio State would win. Um, and a, a reason that tool time also pointed out was, uh, game breakers that Ohio state 
might be able to get that run game going. So I actually I do think that Michigan is going to be able to stop Ohio State's run game because they've been able to do that with everyone they've played this year. And as much as I'm concerned about the shoes atmosphere, it's going to be insane. I think trench play travels. And so I think that if Michigan dominates the trenches, which is what I'm predicting to happen, I think that they take this game. So my prediction is Michigan 34, Ohio State 27. Thank Down you, Brandon. One and you I just became everyone's favorite Jones, <laughs> and you saved this pod because this is a Michigan state of Michigan pod, and we were getting pretty negative here. So thank you. Well, just like Cody last year, I was predicting uh, failure last year, and then Michigan came through and proved me wrong. So I feel kind of gross predicting a win now, like I'm going to mess up the juju or something. But that's uh, that's my prediction for now. I'm going to stick to it. <laughs> and I'll probably try to find an alt line on DraftKings, negative uh, uh, 6.5, and that'll probably be a pretty positive payday. So I'll, I'll put my money where my mouth is there. And, yeah. man, whew, if that happens, I you guys are going to have to probably revive me. No, uh, I'm saying if I'm predicting Michigan to win by a touchdown, okay. if I got them up to you know negative 6.5, it's probably going to be plus like two, three hundred out. They might not even probably go up that high in DraftKings, but dude, I was texting you when Ohio State played Penn State. I was looking at what the line was. It was like still like thirteen and a half or something like that. I told you, I was like, you better start betting on Michigan to cover that. Like <laughs> back then, because there's like that would like to me the only way like that's a double digit win between one of these teams is if like another team is like one team's up nine or ten. And maybe a team's like trying to fight back and they end up throwing an interception and it leads to another touchdown. Like I see like a late turnover being what causes it to be like more than a two score victory. Yeah, I probably would have taken you up on that, but I, I cashed out my DraftKings and I'm having to build it up back from the bottom. So Sus. it's uh I'm I'm back down to very small units, but we're getting back up. Brandon, I'm pretty sure the precursor pod to the game last year was uh when you made your jump to the uh the Iowa fandom. Isn't that right? Oh that that was all last year. Okay. And it turned <laughs> so well. And then this year I, I couldn't take it anymore. It got too ugly. Still might win the West. Still probably gonna win the West. Freaking Iowa. I swear. <laughs> you can't escape them. No, they're inevitable. Read it, run from it. <laughs> Iowa arrives all the same. My last bit for <laughs> my last bit for the game is uh Brand, you were talking juju and trying to kind of keep things going. Uh voodoo, I'm a juju. We personally have been at both of Cade's best games this year so far. Uh yeah, it's true. His debut at Hawaii, we were there, and then at IU, Indiana, where he had a really quietly really good game of 300 yards three touchdowns uh we were there so i think that means we got to go to columbus on saturday to visit tool time <laughs> yeah i can't afford that sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah we did say we'd revisit this topic of uh whether we just skip christmas gifts and go to columbus but if you're listening to this and you're a michigan fan and you believe in the juju uh we will be accepting donations for our tickets to the game. Uh, honestly, donating to this means a win for Michigan. 
get us to Columbus and Michigan wins because JJ's going to have a good game. So if you care, you got to send a few bucks to the, the ticket donation. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say something. And I think it was wrong. I, um, I think it was prior to uh, our last away game. We had a Jonesing for Sports uh, member of the Jonesing for Sports like collective at every away game for Michigan thus far. Um, so we need somebody. We need to send the group to uh, to Columbus. Keep it going. Keep it alive. <laughs> All right. I'll go to Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> I know you will. I'll bite, the, I'll bite the ball for you guys. I'll go to the game. <laughs> so. You got to wear a Michigan jersey, though. Oh. <laughs> Cody, could I you wear one of those house divided shirts? I'm sure you got one in Iowa State. And my house Michigan. is not divided. I'm the only one who lives in my house. Like, it's it's very well established. No, it's just like your your human house. You're you're you uh never mind. I just wanted you to wear the no, shirt. I, I, just... I, I flushed all that stuff out. That's I knew you had. I just wanted gone. to see you get absolutely berated by everybody in that stadium. Dude, I dude, I still get that from friends occasionally. I remember the 2016 game when it was looking bad. Everyone was ready to just to just beat the snot out of me. They're like, Cody, this is your fault. Like this is this is on you. This is what you get for doing what we've always told you to do for years and choosing the Buckeyes. So, but I paid my dues in that respect. I've paid my dues. I paid my dues. There's still light in him. I can sense it. I just watched Revenge of the Sith earlier today. So, uh, well, as a Buckeye, is your favorite scene, the temple murder of the younglings? Oh my gosh. Yeah. The smile I get on my face. Like when I realize Anakin is fulfilling his destiny is just, uncanny i mean i i don't blame you <laughs> all right let's talk world cup fellas let's get into it what an exciting time how lucky are we that we get to talk about the game we got college basketball on tv right now and we got the world cup coming up in just a week actually less than a week's amount of time it's coming up fast monday monday friggin monday <laughs> i'm so excited Tool time, you said you might be more excited about the World Cup than you are for the game. Is that because you're so excited oh, yeah. to watch the USMNT or because you're a little bit worried about the game? No, it's United States men's national team. It's it's all about that. Even if we had made the last World Cup, I would still be more excited about this. I mean, I'm just like it's it's the best sporting event of all time, in my opinion. It doesn't even come close. I, I, don't get me wrong. I love March Madness, but to me, there is nothing, there is nothing like the World Cup. This this whole week so far, starting with the like the World Cups back in the '90s, I've just been watching these videos. That's just like every goal scored from 2002 World Cup, 2010 mm-hmm. World Cup, all of that, and <laughs> like it's not even the United States. It's just every game. Like it can be any game, and it tells you the score outline, and you see the team go three two, and I'm just like, oh my gosh like i'm just like getting like so hyped and excited for it just oh man and the idea that it's around christmas time at first when they first announced that i was dreading it i was like that's so stupid but like still is this really is this is kind of a big time of the year for like big sports and so to me it feels even bigger that the world cup is happening this time of year i mean the united states is playing england on black friday what a magical what a magical three-day stretch. Mm-hmm. We've got Thanksgiving, 
lions, whatever, but food, <laughs> Thanksgiving, thankfulness, family, turkey, lions, NFL football, Black Friday, U.S. versus England, and then Saturday's the game. Holy. How much money do you think Fox is making that weekend? Too much. All of it. <laughs> $11. Dude, I'm going to drop a bomb Brandon's on you guys right broken. now. I'm going to drop a bomb on you guys right now. If the United States beats England, I will be unfazed if Ohio State loses. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> what? I just, I just, it, it, it just I like that. Don't, don't get me wrong. In, in, in the moment, will it hurt? <laughs> in the moment, will it hurt like any other game? Yes, of course it will. In the moment, it will suck. But honestly, like four or five hours past, I'll just, I'll, all I'll have to do is just watch the highlights of that USA England game if we won, and it'll just, it will, it will just, it will, it will fill that void and it will be overflowing. Like it will just be, a, it will just be keep filling that giant hole that is left there from losing that game. To me, to me, USA beating England can fill up more than the amount that OSU losing is going to dig a hole in my heart. Now, my question is then you said US beats England, no doubt, at some point in this pod. Uh, is that more on account of your excitement for this game or how you like how we match up against them tactically? Okay, okay. I'm not saying we no doubt win. I'm more saying, like, <laughs> no doubt I want – like, I'm more in for USA to beat England. Um, tactically, I, I think it's an interesting matchup um, because England is not a, a pressing team. Um, they are a quick attack team, but they're not too much of a pressing team. And with the United States team right now that we have definitely shown that our weakness can be teams who press us high. Now, to be mm-hmm. fair, in the games that we were playing those in both qualifying and that friendly game against Japan, we were not playing what is our strongest back line. And when you have a really strong back line who's good on the ball, they're the ones that can handle a press. And when you break a press, it leads to many scoring chances. And so we definitely did. We only had like two, two starters for majority of that time who we're going to see in the World Cup. Well, I'll ask you straight up, Tool Time. Do you think our, our back line is strong enough? It's interesting um, because the guy that I'm really, really hoping – so the, the, one of the questions that we've been trying to answer for a long time is who's going to be that center back with Walker Zimmerman? Um, Miles, I don't know how familiar you guys are with the team. We never really talked about it. But Miles Robinson was kind of the guy penciled in for a long time until he tore his Achilles back in May. Um, and so he's going to miss the World Cup, and we've kind of been trying to figure out who's going to fill that center back void. Well, the guy who has really stepped up is Tim Ream. I uh, pray Tim it's Ream. Tim Ream. Mm-hmm. I do too. Yeah. You know, for those of you that don't know, like Tim Ream is 34. He's the oldest guy on the team that we have this year. He is a starting center back for Fulham, who plays in the Premier League. Um, he is the captain of that team as well. And when Tim Ream was in his prime back in his you know, 24, 25, 26, back when the United States was trying to qualify for for, for Russia, um, he wasn't really playing to what we thought he could be. But he's kind of had this resurgence over the last couple of years, especially this year. Tim Ream has really had this resurgence uh, in being able to just have high-quality play. And he's doing it against the guys we're going to see in England. He's playing against them every single week in the Premier League. But Tim Ream is by far the best on the ball. He's by far the most composed. He's the most, he's the one that can best, he can break layup, he can break levels, and he can connect passes to midfielders or even wingers or our forwards. 
Uh, and so I, I really, really hope it's Tim Ream. If it's Aaron Long, we're screwed. We're done. Zero <laughs> points. We, we're out of the World Cup. Uh, but I, I, I do really hope Tim Ream is the guy. So one thing with Tim Ream, uh, I think he might actually be 35. Because in a because after uh, Fulham in a game against uh, Man City, uh, Pep Guardiola came up to him after the game and said, "Hey, if you were like in your twenties, you'd be playing for me right now." Instead, well, if you, if, if if you, you weren't, weren't thirty four, yeah. <laughs> and he said, uh, "Actually, I'm thirty five." <laughs> that <was the> answer <laughs> to him. That's funny. Uh, and if he's playing good, I mean, thirty five, you can still get the job done. Um, but man, I he's been playing well. I really like him in the back. Losing Robinson back there kills. Uh, it was when he went down with the injury. It was so sad because he was looking really good. I liked just his athleticism and what he provided from the back line there. And a random note: it was on one of those surfaces that the NLPA is complaining about for the split turf or whatever. Interesting. It was in it was in Atlanta. Uh, um, let's let's just go continue through our roster and kind of break down maybe some of our hot spots, some guys we're excited for, and then we'll break down the group and see if we think the U.S. can get out of the group. Some games, maybe we'll just go through the three group games. Um, so let's continue through the roster first. Uh, anything you guys want to talk about? Matt Turner and goal. I don't know. Turner's looked good. He has it's, looked good. It's it's a bummer that like that's just another one of those positions that's just been a question mark for so long. It makes you envious of teams like uh, you know, well, obviously you're gonna be envious of Brazil and Argentina, but teams who have just been so set in their uh in their starting lineup for for so long, they know exactly what they're set out to do. With this US team, we have so many question marks over a lot of different positions. Goalkeeper is one of them. I, I like Turner. I I think like early on in this conversation of who should be the men's national team keeper, I think Turner got a lot of hate for his inability, some would say, to be able to uh, direct the flow of the ball uh, from the back. They would always say that uh, Zach Steffen was a little bit better with his feet. Um, now nobody's clamoring for Zach Steffen to be the uh, between the sticks. He didn't even make the roster. No, and that's definitely something that like is of note. The way he had been playing, he, he's not in good form. Um, and so it's not surprising. It is a little bit surprising when you look at, you know, where this whole conversation started because he was clearing away the number one with Matt Turner kind of waiting in the wings. Now it's definitely Matt Turner. Um, I mean, next after that, like Horvath, like it's, this is Turner's job now. And I don't anticipate him losing that. I think he's in pretty good form at the moment. I think he'll have a really solid World Cup, but I do think he's going to be put in a really... Um, actually a lot of really tough positions with how many question marks we have with our back line. Yeah. You're telling me I have to watch us soccer and Tim Howard's not going to be the goalie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Bran. <laughs> We're a little past that time, man. Landon Donovan won't be there either. Bran again. Well, what? <laughs> Come on. Kobe Jones. <laughs> Jurgen Klinsmann called in. He said, just in case you were thinking about it, this guy is not going to Qatar. Uh, the funny part, Brandon, is if you watch these games, you'll see plenty of uh, Tim Howard and Kobe Jones because they both do some talking for Fox. So you'll still see him plenty. 
Donovan's over there too. So <laughs> Donovan in his high voice. <laughs> uh, I always loved interviews with Donovan. I mean, he's a stud soccer player, but the interviews that octave just went two octaves higher than you expect to come out of his body. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, we talked about the defense. Uh, any other defenders you might be excited about or guys that you think should have made the, the squad and didn't? I'm pretty content with what we discussed on defense. The other Robinson, I'm really excited about him. I think he provides Jedi a Robinson? lot. Yeah. yeah. I think he provides a lot of offense, actually. Uh, I am con- uh, I'm concerned a bit about our, our defense, uh, but he provides quite a bit down the line. So I'm excited about him. And speaking of athletics, that dude is a freak athlete. Yeah, I love the yeah. uh, the Selly with the uh, with the backflip, fake hammy, uh, fake pull in the hammy. I'm pretty sure that was <laughs> Jedi Robinson. Um, it was. Yeah, yep. that dude. He, yeah. He's fun to watch. I'm excited for him as well. And don't and don't forget, on the opposite side is a player who plays the exact same way in Serginho Dest. You know, he's not as athletic. Um, as Anthony Robinson is, but he is a lot more clinical in in his fundamentals and his ability on the ball. Um, and so, I mean, he he played on Barcelona for multiple years, and right now he's playing for AC Milan in the Serie A in Italy, and he's kind of had a little bit of a resurgence back since he's been on AC Milan. So, uh, I mean, Travis definitely hit it on the point that, yes, I am worried about us giving up goals. Um I am worried about our abilities, you know, because one of the big things is in a World Cup game is can you keep a team from scoring two goals? That's such a huge thing. Can you keep, can you keep a team from scoring twice? Because it's rare that you'll get shut out. Um, but one of the things that the United States has never had before, especially at the World Cup level, is fullbacks who can routinely get up the field and be extremely dangerous. I mean, the only one that we had remotely close to that in the past was – Marcus Beasley, because he was a winger who was converted into a fullback. Um, but the fact that uh, Jedi Robinson and Serginio Dest both are these kind of players and they do it at high clubs, because first of all, Robinson is with Green at Fulham. He's a starter on Fulham. Mm-hmm. And then, as I said, Dest has started at Barcelona. Now he's started at AC Milan. So these guys are doing it at high places. So um, I've listened to podcasts of other teams, and they say they are very worried about our fullbacks getting involved in the offense. So um, very much hoping that they can provide something. I love that both those guys play for Fulham and potentially be on the field together. I think that's a lot of chemistry that could be really beneficial to this team. Uh, On to the midfielders. Uh, Well, I was just going to say real quick just about Dest is I think he has the potential to shine a little bit. Um, in this World Cup, because I think one of his flaws is the ability to play physical. He has more of a finesse type play style, um, oftentimes making me think that he would be just much better as a pure wingback or maybe even um, even a winger. Um, you know, in CONCACAF, you see a much more physical brand of football. And uh, that's something that put him in some really tricky situations sometimes because being able to just muscle through an attacking forward is not something that I think he does particularly well. Um, and so when you're playing up in against guys like from England or maybe even Wales, you get more of a technical style of football. And that's where Des thrives. And so I do think you're going to see a bit of an improvement here in this qualifying window. I think that's going to be really huge for us as well. Yeah, I agree. I'm looking for big things from him. 
the group I'm looking for that I think is our strongest. You guys can agree or disagree. Our midfield. I love our midfield. Yep. Our midfield, uh, I think, absolutely. is great. My, I think, second favorite player on the team, Eunice Musa. That dude, he's a stud. And I think he's 19. Is he going to be 20 by he's 18. time? He's okay. <laughs> I think he's still 18, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Eunice Musa is a stud. I love that guy. He's so good. Uh, but the rest of the midfield, really solid. I think this could be a big part of our team in the World Cup. I do think they are the, really solid. It's funny because we have so many question marks on uh, different positions for the team. And yet you kind of have a question mark over the midfield as well. With so much strength there, there's going to be a significant name that you have to leave off the starting sheet. For you guys, I mean, you have Eunice Musa, you have Weston McKenney, you have Adams. Um, and you also have kind of like our wingers, uh, more of like a forward player. But there's somebody you're going to have to leave off with like Aronson, uh, Timothy Weah, Christian Pulisic. Between all of those guys, who do you leave off? So my my opinion is, is I've got two guys that I think are going to come off the bench because of the fact they can play different positions. Even though I actually believe they might potentially be in our top 10 most talented field players, Greg Berhalter, who I'm very familiar with him because he was the Columbus crew coach for a long time. Um, he definitely loves his system. He loves mm -hmm. his 4 3 3. He loves guys that naturally fit in his system. Brennan Aronson is one of those guys who can play midfield and he can play winger. I think because of that, he's going to be a sub because one of the things they changed this year is it's no longer three subs in a game, it's five subs in a game now. They did, they did move to that. And I think with having more subs, you're going to see more subs at halftime. And I think Brennan Aronson, at least in the first game, there's a chance that's what he is. It's, is. Is there a winger or is there a midfield not cutting it? Okay, put in Brendan Aronson and just let him go crazy. The other one who I have on there, and this is just talking with another buddy who used to coach with me. This was controversial. I think Gio Reyna is going to come off the bench as well. I'm with you there. Even though he might be the most pure talent that we have in the United States men's national team, he's also 19 years old. Um, and he can also play a more attacking-minded midfielder or a winger. And so I think because of that, you have this opportunity where you could play Tim Weah on the right, who's just such a natural winger, and he gets behind the back line so well. Polisic's on the left. We know that. That's mm -hmm. where Polisic's going to be. Um, and I do think that the MMA midfield of McKinney, Musa, and Adams have proven something that those they've got to be the ones to start. Can't break that be up. The ones to be there. Yeah. Yeah, and so I, and that's and think about that. Guys like Aronson and Gio Reyna coming off the bench. Think of another World Cup roster where you could even have that opportunity to do that with those kind of with that kind of talent. Yeah, that I agree with you, but it ticks me off at the same time because I said Musa is my first favorite or a second favorite. Aronson is my first favorite player on this team. That dude, the motor on him, even before. Mm. Leeds USA became a thing. Uh, I the way he played for the U.S. even in his limited minutes until he kind of really started building his minutes with the U.S. You could see it the motor this guy has and the just opportunities he creates. I think he's the best opportunity creator on the team, and that's something that this team has struggled with over the last like qualifying was just getting opportunities to score and getting shots on goal. And Aronson at least offers you these opportunities by winning the ball back 
and getting the ball into attacking positions. Uh, I just love the way he plays. If I was to get a jersey, it'd be Brennan Aronson. Um, but his versatility, he may come off the bench, like he said. And I get it, but man, with a guy who, if we're struggling to create attacking chances, I think I want a guy who is one of the best. Uh, statistically, in the Premier League, he is one of the best statistically at creating chances. And I want him on the on the field as as much as possible, if that's the case. Um, I mean, I think he should be at the nine. I would. I think he, I, I think I, he should be at the nine. That's a wild idea, and I I like it. I haven't <laughs> even thought of that. Before. I have never thought of that either. I don't hate it though because the pressure he would put on their on their backfield, their back third, and uh, yeah, our I don't love our where our nine's at right now, anyways. So that would be I, and I, honestly, I think I think the guy that's going to start is Josh Sargent. I think it I should think so be. too. I think they could yep. put Sargent. But if you wanted to put our best talent on the field, to me, the guys that got to take the hit is Timo Weah, even though I really like Timo. And then whoever the nine is, you put Aronson at the, like put Aronson at the nine. Gio Reyna out right, Pulisic out left. Imagine being a manager trying to go against that attacking. Like that'd, that'd be gnarly. Like for me, like because like I said, I'm, I'm I coach high school soccer and I coach club soccer. And for me, being an international coach is like being a high school coach. You don't get to go out and choose your players. You have who you have in high school. I have who the guys are at my high school and who tries out. United States, you have the guys who are Americans or are eligible for American um, citizen status. And you just have to pick the best guys. And at the end of the day, you've just got to get your best talent. And you've potentially even maybe got to have a system or a formation that fits the talent. And so, like I said, for me, if I was in control, Aronson would be at the nine, Reyna be it out wide right. You, you put your best talent on the field and let them go. And then if one of them's struggling, okay, bring in a guy like Timo Weah who has – a completely different dynamic to him who could stretch a team in a in a different way and he's much more vertical when at the end of the game where you're grinding you probably need players to just be more vertical up and down because you're really trying to push the attack that's the trouble i think with a system manager though is i agree i think you got to have your best players on the field but if it's not fitting your system necessarily or you it's part of your system to have him more versatile so you can bring him in at a midfield or a forward or a striker. He's probably not going to start. Uh, and that's why I'm against system coaches. <laughs> you got to coach with what you got and put your best foot forward. And I mean, not every team's the same. You probably know that as a coach, Cody, with soccer. And you probably had strengths on your team. With, I don't know if it was defensive, mid offense, where you're like top to your strength was, but you kind of build a game plan around what you got with some strengths i mean it's within the game of soccer but you you gotta really kind of know what your team can afford to do and push into those strengths and like you said with a, a front line like you listed that would be so hard to game plan against defensively that would have been that would be sick to see uh we're not gonna see it though as my disappointment <laughs> maybe not in a starting lineup but i mean like if we're in the game with england and we're tied or we're down a goal like some point he's got to put his three most dangerous players on the ball in position where if they beat one guy, they're getting a shot on a goal opportunity. Like I think at some point, like at some point you have to see it, but I don't know that we'll start that way. Cause you know, Burhalter wants to start in his system every single game, but 
maybe when just that one game is not going offensively, it's all right, throw your best guys up, see what, you know, go for broke. I like it. I love that idea so much also just because we're so bad at utilizing forwards. You know, we've seen several games within uh, the qualifying windows where we'd put a guy up there and he would get maybe six touches on the ball over the span of like an entire half or sometimes, heaven forbid, even an entire game. Um, and so we're not a team that counterattacks anymore. We possess and we will allow the defense to pack the box and we'll just pick and pick and pick and try and unlock a defense and never really get anything to work. I think we should have been using a false nine you know, ages ago. There's no reason why we need to be putting a experimental forward up front, especially in the World Cup, when we have no idea how they're going to be able to produce. Put your best guys on the field. I know Aronson naturally plays on the wing, but the way that guy possesses and the way that guy presses a back line, his work rate is unlike any other. I just, I, I totally understand and agree with his value as a sub with the versatility that he offers, but fatigue is going to be a major issue in this world cup when you're playing in, you know, 200 degree weather. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be brutal. Even with five subs, it's, it hurts me so much to take a guy off the field, off the starting lineup that can play a full 90 minutes at 110% just day in and day out. The motor on that guy is legendary. If you have somebody like that pressing the back line, um, but who's also trying to help, uh, get passes into the cut, the wings cutting in on the inside. I don't think you really need a forward because that's just not the U.S.'s strong point. So I really love that idea, putting Aronson right out there at the false nine. And uh, I might even put Timo Weah on the wing before Reyna. Uh, Reyna's just been hurt so much. He's uh, finally gotten a chance to play a few games before World Cup, but he's not necessarily in form either. So much talent, but still so young. I think that's a really valuable sub you could bring on. Uh, it's tough for me to take way, uh, Tim Awea off the field as well. The two are probably a little interchangeable, um, but I think I give him the edge there before Reyna. I think it's a good one. Um, we, kind, we kind of mixed wingers and midfielders together right there. I think we kind of covered them a lot. Yeah. It's so funny. We, just th here's, here's something that's crazy I just thought about. We just talked about all these guys, and we maybe named drop Kristen Pulisic one time. <laughs> True. <laughs> like, that, that's just where that, we're at. That begs its own conversation, really. Yeah. Um, so Kristen Pulisic, go ahead. I just want to I'm curious about, since we kind of brought up that name, is he the most important player on the team to you, or is there someone else that you think is the most important player on the team? Christian Pulisic is still Captain America, but he is not the most impactful player on this roster anymore. Who do you have? Ah, uh, I. It's tough to say because he's okay. I, I'll say it. I think uh, Tyler Adams. Tyler yes! Adams is yes! going to be the key Great here. Call Cody Jones. Yes. Great call. Yes, Tyler Adams. Um, everything starts through Tyler Adams. The transition from defense to offense. The dude possesses so well. If you look at his player rating after every game the dude leads the team um this guy he is the quintessential glue guy of this team and without tyler adams the team looks completely lost they look completely lost in putting together an offensive attack as i said everything starts with him you cannot lose tyler adams um weston mckinney is similarly valuable in kind of that same vein he's a little bit out of form at the moment I think he's going to be pretty huge for the U.S. as well, especially if we want to score goals. I think a few of them are going to come off the forehead of Weston McKinney. Um, so we're going to need him to step up as well. Honestly, though, I think both those guys are, are more important than Pulisic at this point. And I would even throw Eunice Musa in that conversation as well. 
Musa. Oh my goodness. People don't know who Musa is yet that don't watch the USMNT. They're going to after this World Cup. This kid has so much talent. And at such a young age, to be able to possess the ball in traffic like he does, the ball is glued to his foot. The way he's able to set up an attack through possession, such a pure box-to-box midfielder. I absolutely love the kid. He's got some dirty dangles, too. He can he can move the ball with his feet. It's beautiful to watch. Uh, a little bit of Serginho Dest flair to him in that regard. Uh, those three, I think, are kind of the core that are going to be um, – really key to pushing the U S out of this group stage if they're going to succeed. Yeah. The midfield has to perform for sure. Like I said, that's a great point. Cause you know, Tyler Adams, you know, doesn't get the stats. He doesn't get the goals. You know, he's not in the highlight reels, but um, I've had some friends who are new to soccer and they see guys oftentimes they'll take off their jerseys and celebrate. And they'll be like, why are they wearing a bra? <laughs> like, why are they wearing a bra? Well, the reason they do that is in the back, there's like a little tracker and it basically tracks like your heart rate and your stamina and miles run and all these other different things. And to what you were saying, there's not any two players in the team that compare to the numbers that Eunice Musa and Tyler Adams put up. Like it's always Tyler Adams, number one, Eunice Musa, number two, when it comes to that, like ground covered times that guys are running full sprint, you know, their heart rate having gone up like those guys, like those are the kind of stats that those guys bring in. And you have to have that every single time and then Yunus Musa the thing that he does that not even any other midfielder does is he connects the lines like if you want to have quality chances over and over again you have to have a midfield that can connect possession between your back line and your forwards if you don't have that you're going to strictly play counterattack, which is like what Travis said the United States always was before because we didn't have the midfielders that connected Yunus Musa is that guy and if Yunus Musa can be that connecting bridge that gets Weston McKinney High and Pulisic and Aronson and Wea or Sargent or Reyna or whoever else is in there. Like that's the key of not just how do we succeed, but that's how you beat teams like England. You have to have those kind of opportunities and create those kind of things. So uh, it's, it's, it's exciting to think that we have such a high potential for that, that we've never had before, but now it's, it's crunch time. You know, can we actually go out and perform that? Uh, oh, the other thing I have too. Sorry, I just one other quick thing is I literally have written on my notepad. Pulisic does not need to be Captain America. Pulisic just needs to be Christian. If he goes out there and just plays like Christian Pulisic and doesn't carry the weight of a country on his shoulders, but he trusts his teammates and just goes plays the way he does, I think he's going to have a ridiculous World Cup too. I agree. I also think if the U.S. is going to score a few goals in this World Cup. I think Pulisic is going to have to be... No, I I feel like because of our qualifying lately and kind of some of the lackluster last few games in the friendlies with not much offense and Pulisic was kind of quiet, I think people, he even with what he's doing at Chelsea, and Chelsea's kind of weird on him right now, that people have kind of forgotten he is very good at soccer. And I think this might be, there's a chance that this world cup is a, another coming out party for Pulisic. If you remember four years ago, uh, we were all pumped to see captain America in the world cup. We do finally get to see that. And I yeah. agree. He may not be the most important piece to this team, but he could be because he is very good and he does create some things. So I think you guys were right with your picks but I wouldn't be surprised to see Pulisic kind of say, hey, remember me? I'm Captain America. 
Yeah, that would that would be pretty cool too. Did you see? Um, have you seen this thing going around on like Facebook and other places that um, EA Sports does like their simulator of the World Cup? But they've predicted the winner right ever since 2010. So they've got Argentina this year, but within their simulated thing, they've got Christian Pulisic scoring five goals in five games. Yeah, so that, would, that. That, that means we're the that means we're the quarterfinals if that's correct. Yeah, they That's chose wild. they chose the US to go to the quarterfinals, which that is wild. <laughs> oh, I uh scores to scores five goals. Oh my god. If Pulisic, if he scores five goals, I think we have a good shot at going to the quarterfinals. I, I like the pick of Argentina. They haven't they haven't lost in like two, maybe three years, or I don't remember what the stat is. I think the Pulisic prediction is bonkers. <laughs> I, I can't quite get on board with that. I would absolutely love it, uh, but I think we got to. Okay, but would it shock you if he would it shock you if he had a hat trick against Iran and then maybe got one against Wales and then one in one of those other games? Yes, it would. So to me, that wouldn't be shocking to me. I I think that's good. I'm not expecting it, but it wouldn't shock me either. I think that's a good transition to uh, let's go to the group stage and just kind of go through each game for the U.S. Just three games. Uh, You mentioned Iran. I have some thoughts on that one, but let's go chronologically we got wales first uh that's is it monday or tuesday it's monday monday 2 p.m i took took off teaching gym that day i'll be watching (laughs) that game live baby i'm so excited i got one more day of work and then uh with thanksgiving break we would get off like uh half day Wednesday and the rest of the week off so i took off monday tuesday in the beginning of wednesday so i could just have a full week of World Cup, Cup watching, and I am so excited. That's what I'll be doing, man. I <laughs> oh, like yeah. for me, my my main job is not by hours; it's just getting the job done. So, like, I've already done like all my lesson and event planning that would have taken place next week. Like, I'm not doing a lick of work <laughs> next week. Like, I love that. I am watching the World Cup. So we've got Wales first. Wales hasn't been in the World Cup since forever. It's been ages since they've been in the World Cup. That doesn't mean they're bad, though. Wales pretty much is a Premier League team, uh, and they've got a guy leading the team who, I mean, he's old now. He's uh, MLS. He's, you know, he's one of those stars who retires to the MLS, Gareth Bale. Uh, he's, people know he's not, he's not bad. <laughs> well, he just won the MLS for LAFC. And yeah, he, he uh, had that. He was kind of quiet up to that final in the MLS, but he's still Gareth Bale. He still scares me a little bit. And this is still a team full of Premier League players. However, it is Wales. Uh, I th- So I'll start. I think this is the most I think this is the most winnable game in the group for the US. I agree. I agree. Um, that doesn't mean that if I think it's the most winnable, but I could see the US coming out cold. I could also see the US coming out hot and being pumped for the World Cup. I'm man, anything could happen Monday. Uh, I'll throw out my prediction for this game. I think the U.S. You, wins. You think Wales is a worse team than Iran. I personally do. And I, so, if you mind me just saying one thing, because it's a great question, Brandon. I think Iran has a couple players that are more higher end talent than Wales does, and sometimes that kills the U.S., especially in, in the past. But I, I think Wales has more depth because, like Travis said. They're basically like a middle of the road Premier League team. They're like a team that's sitting between ninth and twelfth of the table. That's what Wales basically is. Um, but I mean, Iran's got 
couple guys. I mean, they got one. I can't remember who it is. I'm pretty sure they got they got one guy playing City. They got a couple guys playing high level in Spain. Um, they've I mean they've got a couple really good players in Iran. The more than the players, their uh, schemes and tactics scare me more. Iran is a defense first team, and they'll kind of almost park the bus kind of. It's going to be a kind of a boring game from them, except for they got to they counter really well. So they're going to sit back and they're going to send a guy uh, kind of like our old high school where we sucked at soccer. We had a good defense. We had maybe one good forward and we'd send it forward. Um, <laughs> Iran's got that. And that scares me a little bit because the U.S. has shown some struggles with putting the ball in the back of the net. And so I think the U.S. could have maybe 80% possession that game, and it still would be a close game. And that 20% possession that Iran has is going to be hot chances on big counters. So that scares me. Uh, Wales is, I think, more going to be – we've got the U.S. guys on our team. They're used to that style of English play, and I think we can one-up them in it, uh, whereas – the style in Iran, that, just that counterattack in kind of boring style, that scares me quite a bit. I don't know. I, 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 I'm scared of all of these matches. <laughs> I, it's tough for me to say. I'm like so excited, and yet finishing third in World Cup qualifying and then having as dismal of a performance as we did in the friendlies leading up to the World Cup I don't know what to expect from these guys. I feel like there is a legitimately decent high ceiling for the USMNT, but the floor is so dangerously low. Really? I don't I don't believe in Wales. Um, but yeah, I could still see the US dropping that game against them. Uh the mo I'm not terribly scared of Wales' offense, of of their attack. Um, but I am scared of our lack of attack. I I'm gonna go ahead and say that the US wins that game 1-0. Um, but it's going to be a slow and it's going to be a methodical game. Um, U.S. is going to miss out on a lot of chances that they should have taken advantage of just on account of them having no striking identity. Um, it makes me excited that you said a lot of chances, though, because <laughs> that's something we haven't seen. If we have a lot of chances, I think U.S. wins. Well, you know, I think we're really going to win the possession battle. I think this is a game that we're going to be able to actually get that done. Um, and so... I don't think we'll necessarily have a lot of quality chances. I think that's the key there. Um, you've seen time and time again from the U.S. that we will have uh, total domination in possession, and maybe we create chances, maybe we don't, but even when we do, they're not of the highest quality. And if they are the highest quality, um, it just happens to be to Jesus Ferreira, who skies it over the crossbar. Um, I didn't want to hear that name. I know. That's something we could talk about plenty as well, um, including him and not Ricardo Pepe. Or Jordan Peacock. Oh. Um, yeah, I I don't want to talk about it either. <laughs> That's insane to me. I think that was enough. Yeah. You heard Co you heard Tool Time <laughs> exasperate. I have the same feelings. So we don't have to talk about it more. I yeah, so I don't believe in Wales. Um I I don't not believe in the US slightly less if that actually double negative comes out. <laughs> yeah. As I as I correctly or incorrectly calculated it. Um I think we barely get the win there. Yeah, I, th I think it's that. I mean, I, th I think it's I, – to me, I think we barely get the win by the score, but I think we prove that we have a lot more quality yes. in that game. Um, I think our best I think our best chance is not letting Gareth Bale score in the first half. 
because he's going to start. They need him to start. But he's not – he hasn't played more than 45 minutes in the longest time. Mm-hmm. So if you can keep Gareth Bale from scoring in the first half, I think that's our best friend. I think I think the United States might start slow a little bit, but I think the second half, at some point, we're going to click and we might put one or – I honestly think I would put the scoreline at 2-0. I think that's what I would put the game. And I'm not going to say it's like an absolutely commanding 2-0-1, but I think – I think it could be a game where we go out, we win 2-0, and we don't leave any questions. Um, I could I mean, totally Cody, you did you, Yeah, go ahead. You did make a good point in referencing the Japan game. I mean, I remember when we lost to Japan, I was like, oh, done, zero points, no goals, we're not doing anything. <laughs> but that game was also, I think, a lot more situational because I think in not, to, in not a good way, I think Greg Berhalter was still figuring out his team and trying guys in places while Japan showed up with their team and tactics of how they want to play a World Cup game. They played that game like three points were on the line while we played that game while we were trying to figure out who was where. Because Japan didn't start with this high press, but they figured out it could work and they adjusted to it. If you were just trying to figure out your guys, you don't really make early adjustments like that. But Japan made that early adjustment because they're like, this is how we're going to get the United States. Uh, and so I, I think it'll be so much different now that we're actually playing for three points compared to he was still just trying to figure guys out. Um, and so that's why the Japan game doesn't worry me as much anymore. But if we start showing signs, then I'm just going to start being a real negative Nancy real quick. But <laughs> in the last couple of weeks, I found a way to get some of this optimism back of our potential of what we could be. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think I think we definitely do take the game against Wales. Um, and I, I, that to me, it, it's a must win. Like Wales is a yep. must win. hundred percent. hundred percent. I think the real question is going to be, how is Greg going to be able to adjust when three points are on the line? Um, because we have talked and discussed that he very much is a, a system coach. He plays the game his way. And I'm just curious how that game looks. If we play Japan again, if we had Japan in our group and we match up against them, um, Japan is going to play us the same way. I don't know how much I believe in Berhalter's ability to pregame for that matchup, um, to put an effective uh, plan in motion to stop that press. I mean, I, it, it would have to be better than the friendly. He was obviously, he was trying things out. He was testing out his players, seeing what his roster is going to look like. Um, but that's just the biggest thing that scares me is our ability to adjust. We have shown that we're a second half team. It's amazing how little scoring we have done in the first half of games. I mean, we get to watch these these teams play. It's not a mystery what the opposing lineup is going to be, but yet time and time again, we have failed to put points on the board um, in the first half. And so I wouldn't be surprised, like you said, if we get a 2-0 victory over Wales, but I don't think we score in that first half. And I think, again, fatigue is going to be a little bit of a factor. This, this Welsh team is not deep. Um, come that second half, they're going to have to sub off a lot of their talent, and the U.S. is going to make them pay for it. Uh, I agree. I think if we keep it, if it's tied at halftime or if the U.S. has a lead, I feel really comfortable because I think that that's a good sign going in the second half. I don't know if I feel comfortable um, tied at the half. I mean, Wales, I'm not, Wales I'm not is gonna... scared. Like, I'm not fretting, though, if it's tied at the half, because I, I mean, I didn't mean to get into a debate about it, but well, it's a must. It's a must win game for Wales as well. Um, but if Wales sinks back at all, and uh, gets to decides, you know what? We're going to just try and play the counter game because uh, this is all we got going. It could be tough sledding for our for our offense, even if we're owning all the possession there, um, as we've seen in qualifying. 
Uh, let's go. We've already talked about Iran a little bit, but uh, let's hear the predictions for that game. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. Again, it's one that I think the U.S. will be favored to win, but I mean, maybe not because I don't even know if they're favored in Wales yet. Uh, but they should be. Um, they should be favored against Iran, and I think I'm going to pick. I might pick a zero-zero game. It for Iran US. I've got a one-one tie. Yeah, that's where and I'm at as well. To, and pretty much to the points that you put out, Travis, I think they will find a counterattack goal somewhere in there. But then I think the US will find a way to get relentless in somewhere in the last 15 minutes. We can find an equalizer. Um, and then I think within that equalizer, I think what Iran would do is they're going to say, we're not going to change our defense. We're just going to keep our defense. We're going to keep holding the line. And we're going to make the United States like if, if the game got back with a draw, I don't see Iran sitting back and being like, OK, let's go for the win now and take away the thing that had gotten us to this point to win. All of a sudden they would leave themselves real susceptible that one counterattack puts two one. Um, I think it's I think it's a one one draw in that game. Cody, anything to add on Iran? No, I think you put it well. This Iran team seems like it is built to match up against the U.S. I think it's going to be an offensive slog. I like 1-1. One, one. I could even see it 0-0. Zero, zero. But bottom line is I have them drawing against Iran. And we cannot lose. We, But I see a draw being uh, quite likely. We initially said we were going to go chronologically, and we skipped Black Friday game because the Iran game is the last game for the U.S. in the group. So there could be a lot riding on the Iran game, uh, depending on how the first two games go. But Black Friday, U.S. versus England. Oh, my word. I am... I don't know if I've been more excited about a soccer game. This is going to be just so awesome. I'm, I'm also nervous about it. But, man, the rivalry, the battle for soccer versus football, it's going to be it's going to be a fun one. What do you guys what do you guys think about that one? The United States doesn't necessarily need to win the possession battle, but the field position battle is going to be huge is can and and for those i'm not just saying like midfield so as a coach we often talk about the defensive third the middle third and the attacking third so uh pretty much every 40 yards and so for me when i look at that england game is how much can we make england have to possess and play in the in the defensive third and the middle third of the field because if they're able to quickly get the ball up to Harry Kane and Phil Foden and Raheem Sterling, that could be a nightmare. And so the question is, is how much can we close down the gaps and channels where they can get it to that three-headed monster up there? And how much can we make them possess? Because for me, it's kind of like it's kind of like what you were saying, Travis, when you said the United States might just get 80% possession, but might not break Iran down. It might almost be that same mentality is. We know England is probably going to win that possession battle, but can we can we not ex- get exposed in that time? Can we make sure they're not getting so many opportunities in the attacking third? Um, I actually have a gut feeling that that game is going to be an offensive explosion. I have this gut feeling because England's got decent defenders, but not the absolute like. They're not that. And if I'm not mistaken, is it um, is a Kyle Walker that isn't available for the World Cup? I did not see that he wasn't available. 
I, I, I was listening. I listened to In Soccer We Trust, and they said something about Kyle Walker maybe like being unavailable or hurt. I don't know if that's true. I need to look it up. But um, I heard them say something about that. And then Luke Shaw is their left back. And don't get me wrong, I'm a Man United guy. I like Luke Shaw, but of course you are, Cody. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. He's not the strongest defender though, and I think a guy like Timo Weah can expose him in the back. Like, I, 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 I think there could be some offensive fireworks in in this game, which that's the best case scenario. Because even though I'm dying for the United States to win this game, at the end of the day, it could be the most watched U.S. soccer game in history, especially if we beat Wales. If we come off Wales with a win and go into that England game, it's going to be insane. And, like, the one thing I'm absolutely dying for is whatever happens is it gets casual viewers excited to want to buy into U.S. soccer. That's what we need. Like, I'm not saying – imagine if we lost a 4-3 banger in the game. Like both teams going at it and then just Harry Kane finds a way to get something in like the 85th minute that ends up winning it. But like, imagine something like that to me, that'd be so much better than just like a, we lose one, nothing to England in an ugly game. That, that That's not what I want. Like if we're going to lose, we got to go out with fireworks in the background. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe everything exploded, but we're walking away like in a movie in slow-mo with sunglasses <laughs> on being like, that was still sick. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've, We've we've got to find a way to keep them out of the attacking third, and we we've got to find a way to control that three-headed monster of them. Yeah, I think you nailed it. This is setting up to be potentially a classic. If Black Friday, all of America is going to be watching soccer, and against England, where America already we have such great history with England, uh, it's gonna. I cannot wait for this game. That being said, I don't know if the U.S. is going to win. I Honestly, they shouldn't win if you look at it just, just based off of a uh, just straight-up who you got on the rosters. Uh, yeah. England's got some studs, and like you said, that three-headed monster up front is scary. Um, but there's something that the U.S. brings to the World Cup sometimes. It's just this, and I could see it showing up strong thanksgiving what an american holiday to cap it off with the u.s beating england would be magical i don't know if i see it happening but boy am i rooting for it yeah yeah i'll bring things back to earth a little bit i'm predicting a u.s <laughs> loss in uh in that matchup and uh the reason's pretty simple we have not seen an attacking front three like this um i don't remember the last time we've faced uh, such a strong opposing front three. And right now there's so much uncertainty with our, with our center backs um, due to injury. You know, it's people are going to be able to expose our defense if they're able to build up an attack. And so I don't question whether or not England's going to be able to get on the board. I think they're going to get at least two goals in this game. Uh, the question is if the U S is going to be able to counter, that is going to be the biggest thing for me. We are already assuming that they're going to lose the possession battle, which is unfamiliar territory for this young U.S. team. This U.S. team is a team that has been familiar with uh, owning the possession, building up, um, and eventually picking apart the defense. That's not going to be the case this time around. Uh, we're going to have to be able to send boys long, and it's it's new and unfamiliar ground. I don't know if we're going to be able to do it. I think we might squeak a goal or two in there, maybe, uh, but... It's just, it's so much of a question mark. If you're just looking at these guys on paper, like you said, Trav, 
talent wise, England far outmatches the US. There's there's that grittiness to the US. There's that excitement that and it's a rivalry. You know, anything can happen. But if if I'm playing the odds, if I'm making a prediction, <laughs> I really think England wins this match. I'm thinking it's going to be something along the lines of three one. I'm going full stupid like Brandon called me earlier in this pod <laughs> and I'm just owning it. I'm riding the magic of Thanksgiving and the magic of the American way and the American dream and the American way of putting England in their place and following Cody, our tool time, and saying, we're going to outscore them. Screw your big three up front. We're going to win 4-3. Whoa. (laughs) That might even get Brandon to watch soccer. Oh, Brandon's locked in. I know Brandon's ready for the vibes of, of the World Cup. Brandon, would you need the United States to beat Wales for you to get, like, really, really into the idea of the USA-England game? Or does that game alone get you excited, the fact that it's on Black Friday? Like, like, is there enough in that game alone for you to be tuned into that game? Or for you, who's probably the more casual viewer among us, would, you, would we need to have beaten Wales? Would we need to have started to prove something at that tournament and show that there's a reason to get excited about us? So, well, let, let me ask a question first. Are we going to, uh, are we going to give our comparisons, or are we going to cut that for time? No, this is the big episode, Bran. Uh, okay, we've already, I think, set our time record we, uh... on this pod, but it's the two <laughs> biggest topics. It's the game and the World Cup. We never follow our time <laughs> goals when we bring Tool Time on the pod. <laughs> we should have just, just known that up front. My comparison uh, has a, a detailed uh, prediction for each game, but basically I, I am predicting either a, a loss or a tie to Wales. And I guess I'll just do spoilers. I, I may have been the fan favorite for predicting a Michigan victory over Ohio state. I'm predicting the U S team doesn't make it out to the group stage. And I hate that. <laughs> so to answer your question, I am treasuring every single game because there's only going to be three. Um, so that, yeah, even if they lose the or, or tie in my prediction to Wales, um, England game, I'm still going to be fully locked in and I ran as well. So, yeah, definitely. I'm just going to treasure it because I remember just being completely despondent over missing the last World Cup. So uh, now that we're back, it's it's time to just love every second of it brent uh i think it's time we can probably go ahead and go into those comparisons or the kind of wacky comparison game you've got so you want to kind of preface that for us and get us started so uh when i sent the outline out cody jones said hey i know that tool time likes the weird aspects of our pod the comparisons the um you know the weird things that we like to do so we came up with doing a movie scene comparison, which is going to describe the World Cup run that the U.S. team is going to go on. So uh, if you guys want to just lay out your your vision for how this World Cup is going to go, uh, it sounds like you guys, especially Travis, is really believing the, the magic. And as this, the commercials are telling us to believe, so I'm, I'm excited to hear what you guys think about how this is going to look. 
So I got to pre- <laughs> can I not go first? Because I wasn't prepared to be this high on the magic as I am right now. And my <laughs> compar- talked into it. <laughs> Cody, Cody's our tool times uh, talking of the magic and then just thinking about Thanksgiving and America talked me into it. So give me some time. I I'll tell you, I was initially going to pick the movie heavyweights um, and more specifically uh, the bad guy in heavyweights. Uh, crap. What's his name? Tony. Uh, don't ask me. <laughs> uh, anyways, in the movie heavyweights, this guy ends up coming in and running the, <laughs> the camp. He's the bad guy. And he's trying to get all these fat kids to lose weight. And hilarious movie, but he's just a turd about it. They kick him out, and he has this glorious comeback at the end where he's like, you can't kick me out of the camp. And they end up, the fat kids end up winning and kicking him out. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it's a great movie. Uh, but I think the U.S., at that, at, in my thinking initially, I was thinking the U.S. was going to be kind of like, uh, I believe his name's Tony, uh, where he's... <laughs> He's kind of making this push where he has this comeback at the end. You're like, oh, he's got this big battle. He comes back to own the camp, and then they run him out of the camp. Uh, and I initially was kind of along the lines with you, Bran. Maybe the U.S. can get out of the group. Um, winning the group's going to be tough with England in there, but also I'm scared of Iran and Wales. But with the magic that happened, I'm abandoning that take. And I need to find a new one. So you guys, somebody else go first. And uh, I'll find a new one while we go. Yeah, you go, Tool Time. I can start. Um, it's funny. My prediction, this this scene is a little bit different than how my predictions go, actually. But I'll go with it. Um, the United States World Cup run is going to be the ride of the Rohirrim from Return of the King. Is, is The Wales game is going to be when the Rohirrim show up. Our boys show up, we're so excited, and all of a sudden they just they start storming off. And Wales keeps throwing everything at them, like the orcs thought they could. Fire, fire at will. You know, um, Wales keeps trying that, and it doesn't work. We just we go through, we handle our business. All of a sudden, things are going good. And then all of a sudden, you hear the oliphant in the distance, and England walks out of the tunnel. <laughs> and they're just stomping on you and running all over you with, those giant barbed wire between the elephant's tusks, all of that, and they just, they make us pay. They make it hurt. Um, and it's been really, really tough, and we take a very, very tough loss to England. This is actually what I have done for the movie comparison. We take a tough loss to England. You know, it doesn't go our way, and all of a sudden, things are looking bleak. Somehow the group has now shaken out that, you know, we're playing Iran to get to the next stage, and somehow everything is in Iran's favor that if they draw – they're the team that goes through, not us. But then all of a sudden at the last second, just like Aragorn leaping off the ship, Christian, Pul- Christian Pulisic finally arrives on who he's supposed to be. The king that we all need, the heir to the throne, steps in and makes his presence felt and then gets that goal and takes us through to the group stage. And that's how it gets us out of the group stage and it puts us into the round of 16, likely against the Netherlands. Uh, so for me, for me, it's, it's the ride of the Rohirrim. It starts off great where you feel all the emotions and you can say what you want. Every time I watch the ride of the Rohirrim and they start crying, like 
I weep. Like, I legitimately weep every time at that scene. And then the Oliphants come, but then Aragorn shows up. And to me, I think that's, I think that's how it's going to be. It's going to be like the Ride of the Rohirrim in Return of the King. I like that a lot. Um, Cody, something I've been wondering since we kind of started this whole World Cup segment, as you said, you're, you're a bit more familiar with Halter, him being the former coach of uh, Columbus Crew. Um, what is kind of your current level of support for Halter as the coach of the men's national team? I, I, I think he's a good coach. Um, but to me, what I've seen from late World Cup qualifying the friendlies we've had since june and then with these rosters that he selected it feels it i i have this gut feeling that instead of like just absolutely making sure that we win and getting just the right players regardless of age experience it feels like he's out to prove that he's smarter than everyone else in u.s soccer like it feels like he's out to prove that like past coaches, you know, whether you compare to Bruce Arena or Jurgen Klinsmann or all these guys, Bob Bradley, it feels like he's out to prove that he's the smartest manager, that his system and the players that he thinks fits that system and all that stuff, it feels like he's out to prove that he has got the magic touch compared to just being the guy to just bring talent, develop the talent, and then put that talent in the best position for them to be the ones to go take. I feel like I feel like he's almost trying to make it about him rather than the players based on the decisions that he's made. Okay, so this, this next take comparison maybe won't be too offensive to you, um, but for my comparison, this movie scene comparison, we're going to take it back to Spy Kids 3, Game Over. Um, so <laughs> for those of you... Earth? For those of you who are um, a little bit rusty, <laughs> for those of you okay. who, are, who are a little bit rusty on your Spy Kids knowledge, uh, Spy Kids Three: Game Over was the Spy Kids movie where everybody and their moms were playing this new video game, which this was like virtual reality but on steroids because you were actually taken to this new world where you're in the video game. But the problem is all these kids are stuck in the video game. Parents can't get them to stop playing. Um, this this movie was definitely written by like middle-aged moms who were just so disgruntled <laughs> about their kids that wouldn't leave their Xboxes. But towards the end of the movie, actually before we even get to that point, Junie enters the game and he meets these random kids and he manages to convince them, um, somewhat convince them that he is the guy. There's a guy out there that is just kind of like the cheat code to beating the game. Nobody can beat the game because they haven't met the guy. And the guy is the key to getting them to that next level and beating the game. <laughs> and they all kind of knew Junie wasn't the guy, but they, they went with him anyways. But anyways, they make it to the end of the game. They're at like the very last level. And this place is, is scary. They look like they're not going to be able to make it. Um, they made it through Tinker Toys and like lava and duels and all whatnot. But now they're like, how on earth are we going to make it through this last level? This is impossible. And then on the horizon, this shimmery silver figure shows up. And this guy is like glowing. Think like Gandalf the White when he first shows up or maybe like Zeus in any of those. Uh, what are those movies with Perseus? And uh, he's like always glowing so much. Um, think of that. 
And they say, who are you? And he says, I'm the guy. They finally meet the guy. And now they, they're so full of confidence. And That's so then. Frodo. Huh? Frodo was the guy. Wasn't he? Oh, my yeah, goodness. It was Elijah, Elijah, Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> All the more reason to believe we got this. We got Elijah Wood on our side. He's going to lead us to the promised land. There's nothing that can stop us now. He opens the door and immediately gets just zapped by just like millions of bolts of lightning and loses all 99 of his lives. He says, oops. And then he falls on the ground and disintegrates. <laughs> and now Junie's the guy again. All that to say, I think Greg Berhalter is our guy. He's shiny with the behind the back passes. He's rocking all the, the collection of Nike kicks. He's all about style and fashion. Uh, but in reality, I think this World Cup is going to expose him a little bit. I don't know if I fully believe in his tactical prowess. I certainly have questioned many of his um, his decisions for what players he includes in the roster. Um, and I think, you know, it's very unlikely that Greg gets extended for another cycle. It's very uncommon just for a coach to be extended for multiple cycles to begin with. He'd have to have an absolute banger of a World Cup for them to consider that. And I do think there's a, a decent chance they don't make it out of the World Cup, uh, the, the beginning window as well. Um, I mean, especially with, you know, just one win over Wales and then a draw to Iran and a loss to England. I, I, I see them potentially not making it to the round of uh, 16. So I uh, yeah, I'm a little bit down on their on their prospects just because of all these question marks that we've mentioned. I, I'm hopeful. I'm excited but I, I'm a little bit too scared to be bullish on their chances. I think I think it's a great comparison. Just just don't forget, we got through with four points in 2014. It is possible. It is possible, but this is also a relatively low-scoring men's national team. Uh, so I can't anticipate goal differential is going to be through the roof. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, I'm sure you got a banger, so I found one. So I'll let you take us home. All right. Um, I'm going with Nacho Libre, and it's not necessarily a scene, but it's a mixture of some of the quotes and some of the story. So in Nacho Libre, one of the greatest quotes is, I looked like a fool last night. I think there's a chance that the U.S. has some moments where they look like fools last night. Uh, it might be against uh, Wales early. We could come out of the gates slow. But you know what happens after that? They get redemption. They get to go up against Ramses. And Ramses is number one. His muscles are number one. England's number one in this group. We get to go up against England. And you know what happens? The underdog, Nacho Libre, has all of his little orphans and Encarnacion walk into the stadium. Mm -hmm. And he feels that magic. He the feels... He feels the eagle powers. The U.S. <laughs> is going to feel the eagle powers. The crowd is going to be there strong. They're going to feel the eagle powers, and they're going to pull out a huge win against England. Now, at the end of the movie, really, Nacho is in love with Encarnacion. And you can feel that they have this connection, but it's never fully met because she is a nun. And have you ever had feelings for a nun? Well, you can't do anything with those feelings because they're none. Even if 
everything they just said is your favorite thing to do every day. Uh, that's going to be <laughs> the U.S. They're going to have this fulfilling moment of beating Ramses, uh, England. They And I think they get out of the group. And that's going to be a win for us. Getting out of the group, I'm going to be stoked getting out of the group. After that, I think it's going to be a little bit of you go into the sunset, standing next to your girl, knowing that you can't have her because she's a nun. The uh, Getting out of the group is great. That's beating Ramses. But after that, it's just knowing you can't have more than that. That was great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Now I'm, I've got all these Nacho Libre quotes going through my head, and it's like, I got to rewatch that movie. We lost because you were not baptized. <laughs> I only believe in science. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, for my prediction to, to wrap this, this bad boy up, uh, I just want to play a, a song that will kind of set the tone oh, for – for what is going to happen. This always goes over really well. Can you hear it? No. <laughs> Not at all. Are you kidding me? I mean, like we can, but. All right. I'll just stop it then. Uh, <laughs> I got the music playing from the opening scene of Up. That's what I thought it was. <laughs> so what I'm predicting, just like the opening scene of Up, Carl, the little awkward boy, who doesn't belong meets Ellie and it's magical. Mm. And the U S is going to enter the world cup against Wales. And what do you know? It Christian Pulisic is going to score the opening goal. And every one of us is going to be believing and it's going to be electric. Some of us might pee our pants a little and just like that scene in Up, everything is going so well. He meets Ellie. They have their shared dream of going to Paradise Falls. They get married. And then they they have this adventure book, and they have this jar where they're filling their money to, to fulfill their dreams. And every time something bad in their life happens, they have to break that jar, and they have to start over. And wouldn't you know it, uh gareth bale is going to break that jar and our our desire our ability to go to paradise falls is shattered because we're going to tie wales 1-1 or who knows we might lose a game 2-1 that's my prediction a tie or a 2-1 loss and it started off so promising being up 1-0 with our captain america leading us with that goal and then we're going to play england and wouldn't you know it Ellie gets sick. We go on our picnic and she can't even make it up the hill. Oh, I'm going to cry thinking about it. We're going to lose to England 2-0, which is the equivalent of Ellie dying. She's gone. However, we're going to play Iran. And in that last scene before Ellie dies, you see her hand the adventure book to Carl. And she basically tells him, you're going to finish this without me. You know, it's, it's a silent intro. There's no words spoken, but you get the idea. And the U.S. is going to beat Iran. I, I'm going to have one However, 1-0 by goal differential will not move them on to out of the group stage. So uh, Wales is going to uh, – Wales and England would move ahead of them. And that's the end. 
And uh, I included that scene because that's the saddest scene in movie history. And it's so sad that I'm predicting them not to uh, to get out of the groups. So I my heart breaks as I explain that. And that's my ultimate goal. If they get out of the group, I honestly don't think like I would be upset whatever happens after that, especially after missing last time. So the up intro with uh, the the slow the the entire life of Carl and Ellie is played out before us. It's it is too intense for a children's movie. What are you doing, Pixar? And uh, we're gonna watch it again coming up in the World Cup. Can't wait. On that uplifting note, oh. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Well, I just, I just hate Brandon more than I ever have before. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, there's kind of a silver lining here. Because if Brandon is as good at predicting World Cup games as he is college football, <laughs> then we might be in the semifinals at this point. So I'm actually kind of – the fact that Brandon feels that way, I'm actually feeling even more optimistic about the United States and the World Cup now. Now that so, you mention it, I'm a little bummed that he picked us to beat Iran at this point. I also just want a power ranking of the saddest Pixar uh, moment sometime. Not not right now. Yeah, but... we've had enough. Mufasa, <laughs> that's up there. Or yeah, just Disney and Pixar. I think what we could do real quick is like, that's do you Disney. guys do you guys have your favorite World Cup goal from the U.S.? I have mine. What's yours? Mine is uh, Clint Dempsey up against Ghana. Oh, the God. rematch. The rematch against the team that knocked us out of the last World Cup. And he goes down on the left side and brings it into the center, slots it right into the bottom right corner after only like a minute and 40 seconds had passed. It was the 36 build- seconds. Was that what it was? I wasn't even close. It was 36 It was thirty-six seconds. It was so... I'm so glad that you actually knew the exact number. I was <laughs> I was blanking on what it actually was. The Is build-up that the that-, that started from the back where Tim Howard, like, it was just a full length from that's my number one because I mean that is technically like the number one or number two most iconic goal from the United States, but I watched that goal live against Algeria that when we scored Algeria. at stoppage time to advance through to the next round. Like I, I watched that game live. So that's why it is for me. Like I'm only trying to quantify my goals. So Clint Clint Dempsey's goal is number two. Um that goal against Ghana, that opening one. That's number two for me, but Landon Donovan against Algeria. That's just, mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how many times a year I watch that goal. <laughs> Both of those goals are iconic. One, Code, I love yours because Ghana was like our public enemy number one for a long time. And so Three that goal. World Cups we had played epic. Them. But that Algeria goal from Tim Howard all the way up. And so yeah. that, oh, that one was magical. That one had U.S. magic. So I, I got to pick that one. My number one, too, actually. Agreeing so with fingers crossed, fingers crossed we'll see a little U.S. magic uh, coming up in about six, five days here. Um, but regardless of what happens, we've got the World Cup. The U.S. is back in the World Cup for the first time in eight years. It's going to be a blast. We got Thanksgiving coming up, S-tier holiday, and of course, we have the game between Michigan and Ohio State. Cannot wait. It is going to be such a fantastic week of sports and food and action and i absolutely can't wait to be a part of it and as always i'm thankful that you guys are a part of this podcast so thank you tool time for taking the time and uh just chatting it up with us here on the pod always love your contributions 
um, both in the Discord and just when we get to talk to you about sports. It's been a pleasure having you, man. And uh, thank you to all you guys listening to this pod and all of you who continue to contribute on our Discord as well and in other ways. We see you. We love you. And uh, we couldn't be here without all you. So thank you once again. And just remember, Ohio sucks. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. <laughs>